Chapter Eight of An Angler's Hours by Hugh Tempest Sheringham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight, A Miniature Trout Stream. Pebbleville on Sea, as the prospectus putting it before the notice of all who like a really quiet seaside resort had said, was certainly neither Brighton nor Margate. No bathing machines broke the continuity of coast. No gentleman of temporary colour mocked the moaning ocean with comic songs. No Paris confections were ridiculously outlined against the infinite. Pebbleville was small and scattered. Its houses were but landmarks, so to speak, dotted about as though each represented the corner of a street that should have been when Pebbleville had become a Brighton or a Margate. Pebbleville was inexpensive, and its few visitors were elderly and given to meditation. They neither romped nor paddled, but strolled gently along the cliff, or sat gently on the three seats that showed where the esplanade should be in time to come. In a word, Pebbleville was the very place. And yet the angler was dissatisfied, unreasonably dissatisfied, for had he not been at some pains to find a spot where his great literary undertaking should be inaugurated between the sea and the sky, a spot where no distractions could exist, a spot where thought should be trammelled by no worldly considerations whatsoever? And to this end, had he not put rods and tackle firmly away, and disregarded all advertisements that contained the word fishing? So now he was in the exact haven of his desire, but not at all pleased with it. Frowning at the fishless sea, if it were not fishless it was at any rate unfishable, for Pebbleville possessed no pier, no jetty, and no boats, he turned gloomily in the direction of the winter garden, that is to say, in the direction of what would some day be the winter garden. At present it was a large piece of gorse-clad common land, enclosed in a wire fence, and adorned with eleven small Christmas trees, the first beginnings of a plantation. Passing round the Christmas trees, he found his path impeded by a ditch, a small matter, but one that had far-reaching results, as will appear. The ditch was two feet in width, and contained water of a sombre quality. The angler, unwilling to step across to the dubious opposite bank, threw the end of his cigarette indignantly into the obstacle. Then a remarkable thing happened. There was a commotion in the murky water, and the missile disappeared, only to reappear a moment later. The angler whistled and rubbed his eyes. Then he whistled again. Then he turned and sought for some means of testing what looked like a discovery. Grasshoppers were plentiful in the thin grass round him, and very soon one was captured and thrown after the cigarette end. Again there was a commotion and the grasshopper disappeared. 
but this time there was no reappearance, and this time the angler had been on the alert, and had distinctly seen the form of a small fish, a small fish, moreover, with spots. His countenance cleared. Pebbleville was, after all, not so dull a place as he had thought, and presently he had made honourable amends, and acknowledged to himself that a man might go farther and fare worse. This, after a little exploration, had revealed that the ditch was in reality a tiny sluggish brook, which here and there widened out into a pool, and was everywhere of some depth. Pebbleville, as has been intimated, is not the rose, but it lives near one. The fashionable watering-place of Pierhaven is but a short journey away. Pierhaven boasts, of course, shops, and the same afternoon the angler expended some twenty shillings on such a fly-fisher's outfit as a place where no fly-fishing is could afford. The next morning saw him putting up a nine-foot greenheart rod on the bank of the brook, and smiling, partly with pleasure, partly with amusement. It really seemed rather ridiculous to fish for trout in so microscopic a stream. Fate appeared to agree with him, for not a cast had been made when an interruption occurred in the shape of a gamekeeper in leggings who politely asked if the angler had permission to fish. Needless to say, the angler had not permission. The inhabitants of Pebbleville had assured him that the brook was as free and troutless as air. But the keeper was better informed. The water, he admitted, contained fish, but he feared so wanton an innovation as angling for them could not be thought of. He was polite but firm. So the angler tendered his card, took down his rod, and departed disconsolate. Pebbleville was, after all, a poor place to inaugurate a great literary undertaking in, and the rest of the day proved it conclusively. On the morrow, however, the sun rose at his accustomed time, and with more than his accustomed brightness for on the breakfast-table lay a letter which, in a few courteous phrases, acknowledged the receipt of his card, and gave the angler the privilege of fishing in the brook as long and as much as he pleased. Pebbleville was itself again. Breakfast was eaten with appetite. A note, thanking the owner of the land for an exceptionally graceful act of courtesy, was written and posted, and in a very short time the winter garden was being crossed with hasty steps. The Christmas trees seemed to have grown in the night, and the brook was certainly larger than it had appeared. The Pierhaven fly-rod was a miracle of cheapness at half a guinea, and the March brown was by no means ill-tied. In short, Fortune wore a smiling face, as the first cast was made from behind a blackberry bush onto a pool at the lowest end of the garden. The moment the fly touched the water, a tiny fish was upon it, and was immediately twitched out, so as not to disturb the pool more than was necessary. The captive was an undoubted trout, 
though it measured scarce five inches and was rather dark in colour, a natural result of living in so opaque a stream. It did not take long to make these observations and return the fish to the water, and then the fly was again dispatched round the bush. The second cast produced a second troutlet, even smaller than the first, and within five minutes the angler had twitched out three others from the same place, and he began to wonder whether he had stumbled on a hatchery and was angling among the fry. Presently, however, he found that there were better fish in the brook. The March Brown fell just at the edge of a film that had collected on one corner. There was a flash of a golden side, and a strong fish was soon testing the five-ounce rod to the full value of its half-guinea, dashing madly about the pool, and twice jumping out of the water. Fortunately there were few weeds, and the trout did not attempt to bolt upstream, and before long he was being lifted triumphantly out in the Pierhaven landing net, a simple affair of cost proportion to the rod. Spring balance the angler had none, so he could only estimate his captor's weight at half a pound or thereabouts, reflecting that though half a pound is no great matter in itself, it means a good deal coming out of a pool barely three yards in length and two in width. This fish, too, was dark on the back, but was beautifully golden on the sides, well spotted and very plump. After the trout had been killed and placed amid some dock leaves in Pierhaven's canvas bag, the fisherman left the pool very well satisfied and began to fish upstream. It was not easy fishing. In places the brook's two feet of width were reduced to one by overhanging brambles which stretched out interfering tentacles and grasped the fly before it ever could touch the water. That, at least, is how it seemed to the man. The brambles might conceivably have retorted with comments on his inaccurate casting. But this insufficient stream held a marvellous stock of little trout, and almost every time the fly touched the water an impudent fish of approximately half an ounce would hastily appropriate it. But no more big ones were seen or felt until the next pool was reached. This pool was surrounded completely by briars, and only about a yard of water was visible at all. However, the angler flicked the fly over the wall of leaves and stood on tiptoe to observe the result. There was a rise immediately, and a good fish took the fly firmly away under the thickest bush before its owner could interfere. Justly annoyed, the angler applied pressure and then the Pierhaven rod lost heart about the business, and said so with ominous crackings. No half-guinea fly-rod yet built could be expected to pull a half-pound trout out of a bush. The angler anathematized Pierhaven and desisted. An attempt to pull the fish out by grasping the line failed, and the fly was lost. Then, the rod was examined. Fortunately it had not snapped off clean, and had only begun to split in the middle of the second joint, and after being bound for a few inches with a piece of fine string it seemed fairly sound. 
it was soon tested again. Close above the scene of the accident was another little pool, below a miniature stickle. The water was clearer, as there was more life in it, and it ran deep under the angler's own bank. There was no cover here, so he knelt down away from the water, and cast the new March brown upstream, close to the edge, trusting to his hand to tell him of a rise, which it did almost at once, as another half-pounder impetuously hooked himself. He was handled with great tenderness, for the rod was obviously not to be trusted, and it was quite a long time before he joined his brother in the canvas bag. Join him he did, however, and the rod was still whole, as, marvellous to relate, it remained during the whole of the fortnight that its purchaser stayed in Pebbleville, and in spite of being used on this part of the brook or another daily, and in spite of subsequently being much harder worked. On this its first day, the brace recorded completed the bag, for no more big ones rose, although the midgets were insatiable. But as the angler grew better acquainted with the peculiarities of the stream, his catches improved, until one evening he returned proudly home with five brace of fish, of which the smallest was half a pound, and the largest not far off a pound. A truly remarkable basket for so microscopic a stream. Pebbleville on sea stands in a niche by itself in the gallery of happy memories, and the great literary undertaking has not yet been inaugurated. End of chapter 8